How do you save a ghost trapped in a terrifying time loop? And then we travel to Mexico to take a look at a horrible story that crosses the lines of true crime and the world of the paranormal. When a man misses his dead wife so much, he begins to butcher people at random in hopes of seeing her again. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. And I, I gotta say this, guys. I am so honored. This is such a fun job. I love putting this podcast together for you. So I don't know if I ever really say it, but I appreciate you guys listening to this show. I mean, I have so much fun putting it together, and I'm glad you are enjoying it as well. Like, that that's so true. I was thinking about that today, how much I love this show and how much I hope you guys get out of it as well, just for some fun entertainment for a while. Really, really feel blessed that this is part of my life, honestly. Speaking of blessed, in floats, being carried by a thousand cherubs, one of our newest Patreon supporters flying into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Give it up for Walter Bonnet. Woo! Everyone give him a big round of applause as he's floating off. Show off. You can't walk in like a normal person. Walter, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. That really really helps out a lot. Now, Walter and your army of angelic babies, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dune Buggy. We're going to go ahead and leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to Cascade County, Montana. Specifically, we're going to be in the area of Highway 87. This is out in the Black Horse Lake area. If you are listening to this podcast in Colorado, there's a chance you're driving down this road right now. And in this area, there's been a very peculiar ghost sighting for years. Some people say it's an urban legend. Some people say it's an authentic event, an authentic paranormal event. Either way, it's quite terrifying. If you drive down this road headed towards Fort Benton at night, you may see a hitchhiker on the side of the road. He'll have his thumb out, waiting for a ride. A lot of people describe him as looking like a Native American. He has long black hair, and then he's wearing denim jeans and a denim jacket. So just by those clothes alone, I think we can put this ghost origin somewhere in the 70s, 80s, something like that. He's walking down the street, wearing denim jeans and a denim jacket. And as you're driving down this road, you may see this man holding his thumb out. But as you get closer to him... Whether or not whether or not you actually thought about picking up a hitchhiker, driving down the road, this man has his thumb out, and as you get closer to him, he suddenly steps in front of your car, and you hit him. And he will tumble across the hood of your car, smash into your window, and then fall off. When you stop the car, which you should, right? You ever hit someone? We talked about this on yesterday's episode, never pull off a hit and run. You hit this guy, he thumps across your car, you hear it, you see it, you feel it, your car will actually shake when you hit this phantom. You're like, Jason, you keep saying it's a ghost, are you sure this isn't a real guy? This is what makes him a ghost. You get out of your car and you look and there's no body anywhere. And any damage you thought that he did to your car is gone. 
So if you thought that you had totally ruined the front end of your car or that your window got smashed, when you get out, there is no body, there is no damage, there is nothing. You're standing on the roadside, and it's just you. <laughs> Unless you had passengers in your car, and then it's them as well. But the idea is there is this phantom out in this area that gets hit by a car constantly. This is really, really fascinating because what we're having... There, there's old stories about the Phantom Hitchhiker. This is one of the most popular urban legends in America. And actually, it's global. All over the world, there are sightings of a Phantom Hitchhiker. But when you pick up this hitchhiker and you're taking them back to their place of location or the prom or wherever they ask to go, right? When you pull up to the destination, you turn around and they're gone. There's some versions of this story where you pick up a young woman, she's hitchhiking, you take her home, and she's gone, and then you go to the house, you knock on the door, and the father opens the door, and you go, "That's I just picked up this young woman down the street, now she's disappeared. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. I didn't bury the body or kill her or anything like that. And the guy at the door goes, oh yeah, our daughter died 30 years ago. And this happens and this happens all the time. I'm so used to it. I just stay up late. I just stay up late on Saturday nights assuming someone's going to go knock on my door. Sometimes the phantom, like, you'll give them a jacket because they look cold. And when they disappear, they take the jacket with you. That's a version of the story. Sometimes they leave puddles of water in your car. But this is a variation of that. But the violence involved in it, right? The hitting of the hitchhiker, it thumping across your car. Sometimes it'll fall underneath your car and you'll drive over it. That's insane. Think about the force it takes to rattle a car. What is a car? Half a ton? And when you hit something, you feel it. I don't know how many of you guys have been in car accidents. I've been in quite a lot. And it, ta it takes an impact of another car hitting you, you hitting a car, crashing into a wall, whatever, to make that car shake. I want you all to test this theory right now. Go out and start trying to shake your vehicle. Put your hands on it and start pushing it from side. This is your homework for today. I want you to be out in the parking lot of your work. And people are like, what in the world is that guy doing? And you're just like running up and hitting your car, elbowing the car. It takes a lot to make the car vibrate. But this story involves that. The, the amount of sheer force it would take. Hitting a normal human body, hitting someone who's like 180 pounds, it's going to make the car shake. This isn't a body. This is a ghost. So how much... Energy is being put out by this poltergeist. This is fascinating. Most ghosts can't flick a light switch. Most ghosts can't open a door. Sometimes you'll have ghosts turn on water faucets, which that takes a bit of force. But remember, most ghosts are sightings. Or actually, most ghosts are you're smelling it or you sense it. Then you have a subset of ghosts that you actually see. Either it's a full-body apparition or a screaming head or a hand. We've covered a couple stories recently where they're just seeing hands float around. That's in the minority. A ghost that can actually physically manipulate things. Very rare. And a ghost that can shake an entire car. I, I, I can't really think of any other case where this has happened. That's why I wanted to cover this. Getting your jacket stolen by a ghost. Where do all those jackets go, actually, now that I think about it? All those Phantom Hitchhikers, they just have a collection of jackets. They have this Matrix-like closet that goes on forever and ever. Puddles of water left in your car, things like that. That is also exceedingly rare. But for a ghost to be able to move your car, 
is insane. Even if you look at the legends of the, if like if you, st we've covered this before too, where you stop your car at the bottom of a hill where supposedly a school bus of children got hit, the car will move and reportedly like you can see the handprints of the little kids on your car and stuff like that. It, it takes a school bus full of little kid ghosts to push your car, and a lot of times it just turns out that that is a physics thing. The hill looks like it's an, at an incline. It's like a weird mystery spot type of thing, and the lorries from backlog. I can't think of another ghost that has this level of power. And what's awful is that this, this is not something you want to keep reliving. A ghost who's stacking chairs in your living room, at least that's kind of fun, right? But this isn't. There's no fun part about getting hit over and over again. This is a ghost that nobody knows the origin of him. They, the only thing they can think of is what it appears to be. There was a Native American dude hitchhiking through the area, and he got hit by a car. And his phantom is set to replay that every so often. Terrifying, right? Terrifying. It would be one thing if the car passed through the ghost, but for it to interact with it at that level, you have to think, if you were out there on foot, could you communicate with this thing? Because that's such a high power level. And it could be that this thing is seen so infrequent. First off, it could be that this thing doesn't exist, right? And it's just an urban legend that older brothers told their siblings to scare them to not drive down this road. But if it does exist, the power level to be able to manipulate that much matter, you would almost think this would be one of the strongest ghosts that you could encounter. So if you went... And could you talk to it? Could you have a conversation with it without a Ouija board, without a medium, no seance or anything like that? Could you actually communicate with it? Because it has such physical power, would it also have such spiritual power, mental power? Very, very fascinating and creepy ghost story. Because if you're going to get caught in... there's There are ghosts that walk around like Elizabethan times. They got their head chopped off. And I think like Anne Boleyn's ghost is apparently like in her prison cell, still there, and it's like crying at night. Yeah, that sucks, right? You don't want to be in that area, but at least she's not physically getting her head chopped off all the time. This guy is getting hit by a car and reliving his death over and over and over again. Fascinating and very, very powerful spirit if this story is accurate. But let's stop driving down these dark roads. We're all trying to hit it. There's actual hitchhikers out there. We're like, there's the ghost. There's the ghost. They're like, no, no. They're trying to run away from our car. Hey, man, this ghost is really active. Look, at he's been running for 50 yards. I've never seen a ghost travel this fast and sweat and scream out. But uh, that, that, that one did. Walter, I'm going to toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We're going to leave behind this crime scene. We are headed all the way out to... Mexico. This story we're about to cover, it's one of those, when I finish it, I'm surprised this isn't more common. I'm surprised that this doesn't happen more often. It's one of those stories that I think we see a lot in the media, but this is the first time I can remember covering this on the show, something of this level. And according to all accounts, this is true. Like people have really dug into this. And they go, yeah, there's not a lot of information on it, but it's true. So very, very creepy story coming up. Specifically, we're headed out to Guanajuato, Mexico. Guanajuato, Mexico. People are shaking their heads. They're like, no, wrong on both counts. Guanajuato, Mexico. And as we're walking through this city, we're like buying apples and stuff like that. <sighs> Eating them up. <laughs> running, over, running over hitchhikers really gets the appetite going. 
We're walking through the city. It's a very nice town. People are, like, waving to us and then running out of the way as our car is veering towards them. Walking through a town. We go into a shop, and we're like, hey, we're a bunch of ghost hunters, and we like talking about this stuff. Do you know of any haunted places in town? And the shopkeeper looks at us and then just kind of points across the street. And we turn. We're like, over there, and we turn back. And the shopkeeper, we expected the shopkeeper to disappear, that they were a ghost too. I was like, oh man, I just gave that shopkeeper my jacket. He looked cold. We turn back and he's still there and he goes, if you guys want an authentic ghost story, that is tied directly into the world of true crime. Cross the street there. We turn and we look at this house. It just looks like any other house in the Guanhanto area. But this house is now a museum. So we're like, oh, does it have like haunted relics in there and stuff like that? And the shopkeeper is like, no, no. And thanks for this jacket. And he kicks us out of the store. We walk over to Casa de los Lamentos, which means the house of regrets or the house of wailing or the house of laments. It's all kind of the same, depending on the translation. But Casa de los Lamentos, I've seen different versions of it. It's standing before us. This house was built back in 1890. And it traded hands through a couple owners, but eventually it was owned by Tadio Fulgencia Mejia and his wife, Maria Constanza de la Rivera Olmedo. And when I say eventually, like very shortly, like the house was built in 1890, they were living in it like 1893, 1894. They're one of the earliest owners. And spoiler alert, the last owners, basically. It's a museum nowadays, but people do not want to live in this house. This was a couple that was truly in love. Tadio and Maria loved each other so much they knew how to pronounce each other's names correctly. It was that kind of love. But shortly after they moved in, Maria is walking through the streets of Guanajuato and someone jumped out and just either randomly attacked her or it was a robbery gone wrong. She was stabbed to death. And this destroyed Tadio. He absolutely could not live without her. And all the locals figured maybe he'd get over <laughs> maybe he'd get over the brutal murder of his wife. Eh, you know, it's life. You'll get over it, buddy. But he didn't. He starts to really, really lose his grasp on reality. And he decides that he wants to contact her from beyond the dead. Listen, I've never lost anyone super close to me. I don't know. I imagine that I would want to do the same thing. I imagine a lot of people will sympathize with this story. I do, right? He, he takes it a little too far, but to lose the person you picked out, like, you know, your family you're kind of born into and your friends, you kind of choose your friends. But when you find that special someone who completes you, who you feel like this, now I'm a whole person because I have them in my life, and you lose them very tragically. I totally understand the urge, the need, the drive to do whatever it takes to contact them. I wonder how atheists do that. Like, obviously, I believe in the afterlife, so I believe, like, maybe the old ghosts will come to me or I could contact them using, like, a medium or a Ouija board or something like that. I wonder what atheists do if they're just like, eh, whatever, I'll be dead. I'll stop existing soon enough. That's not not a facetious question either. I'm, I'm actually curious about that. I have a friend, Lana. She's an atheist and she's just like, yeah, people evaporate when they die. And that's what makes life so beautiful that it, it stops existing at some point. And I'm like, oh, that's horrible. That's a horrible way to look at the world. I mean, it works for her. I, I just don't 
I don't know. I don't know. Again, I'm not being facetious. I'm not saying that atheists are dummies or anything like that. I, I think that helps me deal with loss, knowing that I'll see them again. It would be weird to think, well, I'll never see that person again, and their personality just evaporated. That is super weird. But anyways, feel, feel free to fill up my YouTube comments with that. I'm genuinely curious of how that works. But to Dio, a man after my own heart, just for this first part of the story, can't deal with the fact that he lost the love of his life. So he goes and he consults a local witch, and he says... I need to be able to talk to my wife. This is something that we see to this day. People will go to mediums. They'll go to ghost whisperers. I don't think that's an actual profession. That was a television show. But they'll try to make contact. And I totally get that. So he goes to this witch. Now, this witch was an actual witch. This witch wasn't some psychic who was running a scam or someone who actually had these gifts. She did have some sort of gifts. But when he goes to see her, she immediately goes, oh, you want to talk to the dead? Here's a bunch of black magic rituals to perform. So it's not like she was throwing chicken bones in a pot and saying your wife says that she loves you and it's time to move on. She gave, she gave him spells to cast. But these weren't like bury a potato underneath a full moon and then the ghost of your wife will show up in a mirror. If you really want to talk to your wife, here's a set of dark rituals for you to perform. And they involve human sacrifices. So this is where I think me and today, I think this is where me and Tadeo and most people would kind of veer off. You know, I'm not going to go out and murder a bunch of people to talk to my dead loved one. Again, I've never been in the situation, though. Maybe I would. I don't know. I don't know if you're listening to this future jury if all these bodies racked up, but I'd say right now I wouldn't murder anyone to talk to a missing loved one. But he does. And apparently this is an actual true crime story. There's not a lot of information on it. A lot of the stuff is in Spanish and translated. But he begins snatching young men and women off the streets of Guanajuato and is sacrificing them in his house. He's bringing them down, killing them, performing these dark rituals to speak to his wife. And he would then burn the remains. He'd burn everything, he'd smash the bones, and then grab somebody else. There's not a lot of info on this. The most essential piece of info, I think, is did the rituals work? But back in the 1890s, he's taking these people, he's gutting them, these young men and women, performing these rituals, eventually the townspeople start to realize there's not a lot of young people around anymore. There's less than there should be. Where's Johnny? Where's Joseph? Where are these people going? So apparently, again, there's some, there's some breaks in the information that we have. At a certain point, he falls under the suspicion of uh, uh, locals or authorities, and they go to his house and they find a bunch of dead bodies. They find human skulls, they find bones, and they find evidence that he'd been cremating these bodies. To this day, we have no idea how many people Tadeo killed. And before he could answer any questions, he shoots himself. Now you figure you could probably you could probably figure out how many people he killed by we had this many people in town, this many young people in town, and now with this next census we have less people, less young people. But then you're also, you know, he could have been 
capturing people who were wandering through town. He could have been leaving. He could be like, it's a beautiful day for a road trip and driving to another nearby town and kidnapping people. Taking them back home and sacrifice them. You can visit this place now. We know it's real because it's a museum. And when you walk into one of the rooms, Atlas Obscura did a, a write-up on this. You can go into this museum and there is an old, there are old framed photos of Maria and Tadeo just kind of standing there and dust all over the pictures. And maybe like Tadeo's like throwing a football. And Maria's going long, going long, and she's catching it. I don't know. I don't know. They didn't actually describe what was going on in the photos. They're winning a pie eating contest. But you go and you can look at this room of these photos. And then also in this room are chains, chains that he used to restrain these people. Implements of black magic and sorcery laid out on this table. And human skulls. It does not say that they are replica human skulls. Apparently, these are the skulls of some of his final victims. He's like, oh, I'll dispose of those bones tomorrow. But first off, I'm going to take a nap. So that's the story of Tadeo. It's so far back... Any sort of newspaper would be written in Spanish. So again, we don't have a lot of information on this. This isn't an urban legend. Like, this is something that happened in this area. And when I read this story, I thought, that's good. I'm going to talk about it on my podcast. It's super creepy. But I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often. I really am. Like, we see this happen in movies, in television shows. Supernatural, when a demon wanted to contact hell they'd have to slit the throat of a human and pour their blood in a cup and then that's like a little radio it's like it's like two tin cans and a string for demons it's a common trope right demonic sacrifices to be able to talk to the dead or be able to talk to the devil but in the real world there's not a lot of examples of this there's a lot of examples of people sacrificing humans to gods or to devils and things like that but this particular motive sacrificing a human to talk to a loved one. I can't think of another story we've come across like this. Most people will turn to a medium or turn to the Ouija board or seance. Now, the medium, or if they talk to a witch or something like that, may demand, like, I have to sacrifice a chicken or something like that. But the idea of the the DIY, do-it-yourself, human sacrifice to talk to your dead wife, I can't think of another example of this. And I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. Because I was thinking about it like this. You could, I'm not encouraging this. If you are currently dealing with the loss of someone, I'm going to make this sound, I'm going to make this sound quite easy to do. I'm not encouraging this. Imagine this. You snatch someone off the street and then you tell them a message. You say, tell Maria that I love her very much and that I miss her And the dude is like sitting there in a chair taped up and he's like, whoa, whoa, who's Maria? Why are you telling me this? You give a message to your victim and then you kill him. Wouldn't that ghost then be all floating out and be like, now that I'm dead, I might as well go find Maria and tell her that stuff. He wasn't just killing them to, to send messages, right? He's trying to talk to his wife. So you figure he's not just killing these people. He's performing this ritual, this black magic ritual that we don't have access to. You perform this ritual, you kill the person, and then you get to talk to your wife. 
And we don't know if it was successful or not. We don't know how many people he killed. He could have been getting it wrong the first couple times. But then finally he is able to actually perform the ritual, kill the person as part of the ritual, and then did his wife ever communicate with him? It's creepy because I, even though I've never lost anyone close to me, I, I you know, I've lost grandparents that I, I loved very, very much, but, you know, they're old, they're much older. If I lost someone when they were young and they were a part of me and it was completely unexpected, I could see wanting to do whatever it takes to communicate with them. But constantly taking these human lives, th this is why I think it might have worked. Constantly taking these human lives, it's not easy to kill someone. And when you're taking these human lives, by the eighth or ninth person, when you hadn't had any communication with your wife, you probably would give up, right? But if it did work, if he did get the ritual right, and then his wife is communicating with him, if this black magic spell actually worked, and you realize that you could slash open this innocent person and work this ritual, and then the ghost of his wife did show up and said, Oh, Tadeo, I love you so much. You want to continue this call? Slaughter another person. And actually, now that I say that, I hadn't thought about that. It's quite likely, it's actually the most likely scenario, that something did appear as Maria, but it wouldn't have necessarily been Maria, right? Do you think Maria, I mean, we don't know if these guys were Mickey and Mallory Knox and they were going to murder anyone anyways, but I can't imagine Maria in the world of the dead would want this. So imagine that he does get the ritual right and Maria, quote-unquote Maria, shows up. And it's actually a demon in disguise. And it's like, oh, I love you so much. You know what it would make me, you know what would make me love you even more? Continue this. I want to talk to you, Tadeo. I want to be a part of your life, but you're going to have to keep killing people. And then in the end, when... The noose is starting to tighten around his neck when people are starting to suspect something's going on at this house. This Maria shows back up and says, Oh, Tadeo, now it's time for you to join me. Now it's time for you to come to the other side and be with me. And he shoots himself. Kills himself. Leaving all of these questions unanswered. How many people did he kill? I guess that's really the only question. The question That would be the question that law enforcement would have. My question as a paranormal investigator would be, did it work? Did this ritual work? But again, even if it did work, we don't know whether or not it was actually Maria. Terrifying. Terrifying story. And I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. We covered that story recently that I feel really went under the radar. I'll put the episode in the show notes. I'm surprised sometimes by the stuff the paranormal community does not cover. There's a lot of stuff out there. I know they want to do an eight-part series on the Bermuda Triangle, but I'm shocked at some of the amazing things that come out of the world of the paranormal that does not get covered. We covered this last season about that this is 100% true. This guy is in trial. He's arrested right now. He murdered two women for winning lottery numbers. He made a deal with the devil. He wrote out this contract. This is not an urban legend. There's photos of the contract signed in blood by him saying, I will kill two women every two months or something like that to make this deal with the devil or a particular demon is what it was. And on it should be a huge true crime story as well. He hid in the bushes. There was like an outdoor late night birthday party. And he hid in the bushes for a couple hours. And there's 
photos of the women. The two women stayed after the birthday party and they were having funs and the camera was set on like an automatic timer just snapping photos. And like the second to last photo or whatever it was was them looking off into the distance because they saw this guy. How is this not a bigger paranormal story? Like he walked and he butchered these two women and dragged their bodies to the bushes and then thought that was going to give him winning lottery numbers. And when the police were investigating this, they found the contract to this demon saying, I'm going to murder a woman every so often. And then there were some lottery tickets that were not winners, shockingly. I, I'm surprised that's not a bigger paranormal story, really. But we do have, this is why I love doing this show, because we get to talk about stuff that nobody else is talking about. But here we have we have stuff like that, right? People sacrificing lives for great riches and stuff like that. But this one, this guy killing people to talk to his wife, I'm shocked this doesn't happen more often, which makes me think it may. We just haven't found them yet. You can kill a hundred hobos before anyone really figures out what's going on, especially if you're passing through areas. And The world's a big place and there's a lot of people in it and a lot of people can disappear and nobody knows. Workers, migrants, stuff like that moving through areas. So Maybe this does happen a lot and it's just not being covered. This story is from the 1890s and I'd never heard about it till now. <laughs> this story is 120 years old at this point, 130 years old. But if you live in this town, you can visit this museum. You can go in and you can look at these human skulls and you can look at the place where he killed these people. You can go to Casa de los Lamentos. And obviously, this place is considered haunted nowadays. Apparently, you can hear screaming late at night coming from the building, which at a certain point, you would just stop. <laughs> you would just stop sending cops in there. At first, you would go, oh, we better go check out. Maybe the dude, Maybe the dude came back. He's still kidnapping people, but at a certain point, you're like, no, it's just the ghosts of the dead. There's nothing we can do for them. Creepy, creepy story. And I'd say we pretty much know how this story ended by committing these horribly evil acts and then killing himself. When he did join the world of the dead, do you think Maria would embrace him? The real Maria. Her spirit who's watching her husband commit these horrible crimes in her name, and then watching this demon taking her form and going down and getting him to murder more people, assuming that hypothesis that I made up works, conspiracy cap fully on. What happens when he did kill himself and the real Maria is there? Would she forgive him? Would she accept him back into her arms? All these horrible things he did in her name was all of those sacrifices not only to appease a dark spirit, but each one actually pushed his true love further and further away from him. Till eventually he finds himself in a reality that he is locked in this hellish dimension, he performed all these black magic rituals. And piece by piece, his soul fell into the clutches of dark forces. So when he finally put that gun to his head and pulled the trigger, he saw Maria again. But she was unreachably far away. And he is now a servant, now a vassal, now a slave to the satanic forces he called upon. Had he continued to live out his life normally, never forgetting the love that he had for Maria, but moving on and not enslaving himself to this murder spree, 
he would have been with her again. They would have been apart for a short time on earth, but spent forever together. And his heart is shattered because he also knows he has brought eternal torment to Maria as well. Because while he is trapped in this pitch black reality of his own making, Maria watches from heaven, weeping every day for the lover she will never hold again. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.